Breaking down Wisconsin basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Swing. The Badgers get a much needed win on Tuesday, excuse me, on Wednesday nights in front of a, I don't really say sparse crowd, but a smaller crowd than you normally would get at the Kohl Center for uh, for a game against Iowa, and that obviously due to the weather that apparently has shut down schools the last two days, even though um, in Madison maybe the weather maybe wasn't bad enough for that to happen. I don't know. Just I know you're a parent. I don't I don't know if but you're uh, I, I I don't think your kid I, I know your kid's not old enough to be in school yet, but um, you're getting to that age where it's going to be like, are you re- are you kidding me? Really? You're, well, you're closing school he- for this. He's in he's in daycare and they closed it yesterday and then they had a late open on uh, on Thursday. So uh, it wasn't the five to eight inches that was projected, but I think it was more the icy conditions that would make it difficult to drive. So I get it, but at least they played the game and Wisconsin needed the win and they got it. They did. Uh, They got a win 64 52 over Iowa Uh, that followed a 58 57 loss to Rutgers. Those droughts, man, those scoring droughts are just. Yikes! But we're going to talk about the positive because uh, that's what we do here. Uh, we we we'll met, we'll talk about the Rutgers game a little bit because I think it had a little bit of a carryover, uh, especially when it comes to our guest here later in the show. That being Connor Asijan, the Wisconsin guard, uh, joins us uh, a little bit coming up a little bit later uh, to talk about an NIL project that he is a part of. Uh, we also talked to the CEO of Open Locker about that project. Some interesting stuff that I think fans might be uh, intrigued by. Um, so that's coming up here in a little bit, but. Just let's start with the Iowa game, and it didn't start out great. Uh, the way that they turned the ball over, they had four turnovers, I believe, in the first what four twenty-eight of the game, and uh, Iowa got out to a, a quick lead. But Wisconsin battled back. I mean, it, it was not a great start. Wisconsin battled back. Tyler Wall battled back. He got hit uh, his first four shots. Connor coming off a game in which he went zero for ten and zero for seven from three. Uh, got a little bit back. Uh, in uh, a little bit of a groove. So, I mean, overall, it was just a situation where Wisconsin got the win they needed, even though it didn't start out great in the first half. I was just really impressed with the way this team was able to sustain the early run and pull away at the end. Wisconsin has lived on close games. And coming into that game, and this was mentioned on the broadcast, the Badgers had played 16 games decided by five points or fewer, which was tied for the most by a major conference team since 2012, 13, that is just an insane stat, but it tells you exactly what the kind of DNA is of this Wisconsin team. And they turned this one into a, for Wisconsin purposes, a route at the end. Um, and Connor hit a massive three to give Wisconsin the lead and the Badgers kept pulling away. They had to have it. At least they're still in the conversation for the NCAA tournament, still a ways to go, but um, I thought they, they really showed up when they had to. What do you think about Tyler's game? Because uh, obviously start out very well. I, Iowa is, a I don't want to say it's a perfect team for him, but it's its a really good team for him because they don't have a ton of size. And so um, he's not dealing with guys that are a ton bigger than him. But he was, I think the greatest thing about his game was that he was aggressive in taking the ball to the basket. And we haven't always seen that this year. Uh, Stephen Carl said after the game that his ankle's continuing to get more healthy. And he kind of, I mean, when, I guess, when Iowa misses as much as they do, you're going to get a lot of defensive rebounds, but he had 
14 rebounds, yep. uh, which is which is one off his career high. So 11 points, 15, uh, 14 rebounds. And Chris Murray had five points on two for 10 shooting. He dealt with some foul trouble, but five points on two for 10 shooting. It was uh, the type of Tyler Wall game that we had come to expect after last year. It is a favorable matchup for him. I believe he had 21 points in the first game, and that was pre-injury. Uh, so, again, the further away that he gets from that injury, the more he looks like the Tyler that we're accustomed to seeing. But the aggressiveness that he displayed early was critical. You talked about him making the first four shots. He had eight points in the first 11 minutes of the game, eight of Wisconsin's first 14, and they're all inside. He gets a layup. He drives and scores. He has a steal, makes a layup, and then scores again inside. So – they needed all of it, and maybe this is one of those games that you build off of. You get your confidence um, because some guys who have really struggled of late uh, put together some solid performances. And Wisconsin's in a spot now where they just cannot afford to lose. You could have said that about the Rutgers game, but they're 16 and 11 overall. They're 8 and 9 in the Big Ten. And as we've said, the difference between where Wisconsin is right now and being in a, a better position to have a shot is it's not it's razor thin. I was 9 and 8 in the league. He probably came into that game where I was 17 and 10, nine and seven, feeling pretty good about postseason opportunity. And and now it's just, they're basically at the same record. They're separated by a game. I mean, that's the big 10, right? This year with the way that things have been going between uh, all the teams and even, you know, Purdue has proven to be beatable in, in losing a couple of games on the road in Northwestern. It was kind of funny. I, last week I said, yeah, I mean, Northwestern's not going to win the Big Ten, but, you know, if they did, it'd be the first time since 1933. And now you look at where they were just a game out entering this week. The, the conference is kind of flipped on its head a little bit. I'm not saying Chris. it feels like Chris Collins does this every couple of years where his team has he's got a good team that kind of saves his job and then goes back. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen this time around, but Northwestern, always, it's, it's kind of like Pat Fitzgerald. He always kind of jumps up and grabs you and grabs the attention. And then they fall off for a little bit or extended period of time. But that's just the that's the Big Ten this year. But in, in terms of Wisconsin, yes, uh, eight and nine in league play, three games to go, two on the road. One, you feel like it's going to be a really tough environment to get a win uh, when they go to Michigan on Sunday. I feel like that's after what happened in Madison. There's going to be a little bit of uh, vigor on the other side, <laughs> I would expect. And then obviously at Minnesota later, but the one in the middle against Purdue, if they could find a way to win that game and maybe finish two and one here, you have to feel good about their, their prospects, right? It's tough because they're sitting here in the net rankings at 72, but they also have what 14 or, or 10 or 11 quad one and quad two wins. Uh, and I think that's the third most. I think the 10 quad one and two wins are the third most in the league behind Purdue and Iowa. So they've got a lot of quality wins. I don't know whether that's going to be enough, but absolutely you could beat a team like that. It boosts your resume. And, but either way, they're going to have to do some damage in the big 10 tournament. That's, that's my sense. Unless damage. Well, they've got to win at at least one, but maybe even two. It it depends how they close on these last three games. Let's say they are able to win two out of three. That puts you at, uh, what do you got? 18 win. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. I still think you're going to need one or two, even though this is a really tough league. It's I mean, they're going to be on the bubble no matter what. Yeah. Um, It feels like when they win a game, they're the last four in when they lose, they drop out. Uh, They're like the last the first four out. 
that's just what it is. Again, the only game they can't afford to lose is Minnesota. That's the one you can't you can't have that on your resume. You just can't. We talk about how good the Big Ten is, except for Minnesota. When when you look at, at where their record is, like you just can't lose that game. But if they could split Michigan and, and Purdue and then go get a win at Minnesota, I think they're going to be in a good spot. They just don't have. I mean, if they have to end up playing on Wednesday, that's going to be tough. If they go two and one, they won't be playing in there. But if they go one and two, then yeah, uh, need to win on Wednesday and probably they need to win on Thursday. And I don't think that's uh, something that you want to do in this conference is uh, have to put yourself on the line for that. But it really just depends which bracketology you're looking looking at on which day and which metrics. And because we just don't know, their 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 profile has gotten compared to Rutgers last year. And, uh, you know, Rutgers made it in, but they were sweating it. And I think Wisconsin's going to be sweating it no matter what, unless they go ahead and win these last three games and then make a run the, in the Big Ten tournament. They're going to be sweating it on, on Sunday. And that would make sense because they've been sweating it all year. I think that's a perfectly reasonable take. I mean, right now, being at 8-9 and nine in the league, they're in 10th place. And so the difference between that and having to play on the first day is half a game right now because Penn State's 7-9 and nine as we're having the conversation. and yet as we've said all year, you're one and a half, two games out from fifth. I don't think they're going to jump that many teams, but there's still enough room for them to get into the middle of the pack there, and that might be enough. They are definitely getting Badgers fans to bite their nails down to the cuticles, though. That's just how Wisconsin operates this season. I mean, that was their fifth double-digit win of the season last night, but their first since December 30th. That is insane. Yes. Uh, they have, I believe, a 22-point win is their their biggest margin of victory, and I think last night was their second, tied for the second at 12 points, which is just kind of ridic- insane for me to think about. But they didn't make anybody sweat it, and that had a lot to do with Iowa. Because Iowa, Wisconsin's defense was good. Iowa had some open shots that they didn't hit. They, they are a combined 6-for-52 from three the last two games against Wisconsin and Northwestern. I have to imagine like Iowa fans, like seeing three for 24 against Northwestern's like, there's no way, (laughs) there's no way we're going to shoot, like shoot worse than this against anybody else. And then the next game, they come out and shoot three for 28. It's remarkable. Um, No Frantrum last night though. That that, that was a little unfortunate. Uh, Got a great question coming up here in the Twitter questions um, where where I have to rank some guys. And it's uh, one of the toughest questions I've ever been asked, but let's get into to Connor before we get, into his interview, what did you think about his game? Uh, did it? Because I th- I thought he came out more. Well, I shouldn't say more aggressive. I mean, he did take ten shots against Rutgers, but it was kind of in the flow of things, and he just he just looked more comfortable. And it's not like he shot great. I mean, he was five for thirteen, but um, it just felt he, like he was more comfortable. It looked like a guy who had put the previous game behind him. I think that's a really challenging thing to do for anybody, let alone a freshman, when you have an over ten performance, especially when he you'd been on the run that he'd been on. And he just came out and looked like the same kind of guy. And I think that's why he's been able to have this kind of season is he's, he's very steady. He doesn't, he certainly doesn't play like a freshman, but you get a bucket and I think it gets you going. He had a, a, a drive, a pull up at the shot clock buzzer. And, and that may or may not have had any business going in, but he's a, he's a shot maker. And, and, and Fran on the sideline just, turned to his bench and just shook his fist just like a and like a, a get off my lawn a fist pump like a very angry fist pump it was hilarious um but we saw him score in a multitude of ways which has become 
uh, especially the second half of the season, much more of his calling hard. He's not just a three-point shooter. Yeah, he only made two of seven from three, but he was able to score in different ways with a, a really good cut and a layup. He got to the free throw line, especially late to help Wisconsin pull away. But I was impressed. He ends up leading the team in scoring. He scored 17 points, and he's the second leading scorer this season. He's not all that far off behind Chucky from being the team's leading scorer this year, which is quite remarkable considering he began the season as the sixth man. It felt like um, a quiet game for Chucky last night. I mean, he had 12 points, just four of nine. But what stood out to me, and I think what stood out to Greg Gard after the game, was five assists, one turnover, Yep. despite the pressure that, that Iowa gave. I thought it was an excellent floor game all around. And there were a couple of different situations where he just fed a perfect pass of a pick and roll for an easy bucket. And that's what you need. He doesn't always have to be the team's leading scorer. And certainly he's had some difficult stretches, but he's also able to get to the rim and he hit a couple of those challenging shots where it's a fadeaway jumper. It was a, it was a quality all around floor game for him to get 12 points, five assists, one turnover, four rebounds, and he played 34 minutes. So they've been asking a lot of Chucky and and he delivered against Iowa. I think he played all but two minutes in the second half, um, which which is obviously much needed when Iowa is pressing the way they did. Uh, Wisconsin, again, as I mentioned earlier, started out the game terrible uh, against the press. They found some uh, success later on, but foul trouble was an issue for for both teams. Uh, a couple of st- a couple of their key players, I mentioned Chris Murray before, um, was limited in the first half, but got on the floor for plenty of minutes in the second half and still ended up going two for ten. Uh, Wisconsin defense solid there, but Stephen Crowell. Ended up with 13 minutes because uh, of foul trouble. He played, what, I think he picked up his second foul in the first half, like the, right around the 16-minute mark or 17-minute mark, and then was able to come back into the second half, quick six points, but then went to the went to the bench again uh, with foul trouble and, and barely, maybe barely played. And that's a, a matchup that was really, really, that's really, really good for Wisconsin because they don't necessarily have a big. What Iowa does play inside, they don't have anybody to match up with Steven. And we kind of saw that with some of the, what he did coming out of the second half. But I thought some of the foul calls were extremely weak, specifically the charge call in the first half. I'm not going to disagree with you there. It's unfortunate for Steven because this was the kind of game where he could have had a big game. And, and you saw Wisconsin, if I'm not mistaken, drew up like the same play to get him the ball inside at the start of each half. And he scored. He had a really strong move on the first possession to give Wisconsin a lead, scored again to open the second half. And I mean, eight points in 12 minutes or 13 minutes. Can you imagine what he would have done without the foul trouble? But this is why you need other guys to step up. And um, I mean, Carter Gilmore, once again, the stat sheet doesn't show it. He played 26 minutes and he got you four points, a couple of rebounds and just did his job. And these are the situations where you need guys to step up from the bench and, and they were able to get enough. But yeah, it's unfortunate for Corral. Inconsistency is uh, what I would say with in terms of officiating, um, and especially Stephen, who I would I don't know I would not call him one of the more I mean he's tried to be more physical, but he's not like Hunter Dickinson. He's not some of the other guys that we've seen in the Big Ten push guys around Zach Eady and that type, and yet he gets called for more of these the, these fouls on offense than I think almost anybody else in the league. I. I should say it feels like that. I don't have any stats to back that up. It just feels like that. But you do like him being more aggressive. It's just 
you would appreciate it being called if you're a Wisconsin fan or Greg Gard or Stephen Crowell, just consistency on, on both ends because guys have been banging into him all year. And um, I don't think we've seen a ton of offensive calls um, when he's standing his ground in the paint uh, at the other end. But um, all right, let's get into uh, our interview with Connor Asijan, uh the Badgers freshman guard. Talking about a, a cool NIL opportunity that uh, him and some other Badgers are involved in. All right, uh, we welcome in Wisconsin guard Connor Asijan. Uh, but before we get into basketball, we're also welcoming in Brian Klatsky, uh, the CEO of Open Locker. That is the uh, parent company of a new NIL venture that uh, Connor and several other Badgers are a part of called uh, Maddie Baddies. Uh, Brian, thanks for joining. Uh, can you give us uh, a little better idea what this is all about? Hey, it's great to be here. Um, no, we're really excited about this. It's an innovative um, approach to NIL. You know, over the last um, you know year and a half of NIL, We've seen um, all different kinds of concepts emerge from, you know, from collectives through different brand sponsorships. And, and what we what we've done here at Open Locker is sort of built a model around creating a fan community where the fans can directly support the athletes. Our model is that we create really cool collectibles, um, autographed digital autograph physical cards the same size and shape as like an amex platinum card with the player's image their their signature on it and also a digital component that comes with it um our goal here is to let fans directly support those athletes that 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 they cheer for and the majority of those revenue proceeds go directly to the athlete um what makes this a little bit different is it's more than just a collectible card some may want to call it a rookie card but it, it also has the ability to connect with merchants and create additional rewards. Um, we can do projects where, you know, the card unlocks access to a basketball camp, a meet and greet, or even connects with a local merchant in town where we can have um, specific rewards for player performance by owning that player's card, which incentivizes, you know, people to want to collect. And, you know, uh, other things we're doing is, you know, you purchase the whole team or you, or, or five players on the team. We, we create, you know, different prizes there you can get a hoodie you can get uh entered in raffles for tickets to the you know to the big 10 tournament nca tournament so all different things we can tie together so um it's it's a different approach and we think it's a long-term model that we can build a uh, a great wisconsin badger community around uh you guys have already launched at yukon i believe and at florida gonna be launching in wisconsin march 1st uh so next week coming up what stood out about wisconsin and uh and connor for that matter to, to have them uh, be a part of this? Well, I think for us, it's really about helping schools create a competitive advantage in the conference. You know, geographically, you know, we're talking about UConn up in the Big East. We're talking about Florida down in the SEC and now in the Big Ten. You know, we think that creating these type of communities um, gives, you know, the coaching staff the ability to win recruiting battles. Like, hey, look, look at what our, you know, there's another community here um, in, in the NIL space. And when you sit down with a recruit and they're, you know, at their kitchen table and say, look, there's this Maddie baddies that does stuff. It's an additional layer of NIL that gives Wisconsin a competitive advantage. And, and I, and I think it's the fan base that's attracted us the most. And obviously the teamwork, you know, the way Wisconsin plays basketball is what makes stuff like this successful. You know, the chemistry on the court um, carries off the court. And I think as a group working together, 
it it it, it goes a long way with um everybody really trying to compete together. So that's really what you know brought us to Wisconsin. Connor, obviously you're one of uh, I believe six guys so far that ha- have signed on from Wisconsin. What stood out for you uh, in this project? I mean, for me, it was just like you know the different opportunity they present. Uh, I mean, a lot of places or a lot of different deals are just kind of, you know, doing money and saying, you know, do this for us. But, you know, they're kind of getting the fans, like he talked about earlier, you know, to interact. And that's something I really enjoy because, you know, I really appreciate, you know, the support that people have given me so far just, you know, getting on campus this first year. So, I mean, it's a really cool opportunity to be able to interact with, you know, especially the youth too, you know, for kids who, you know, kind of look up to, you know, me and my team. So it's a great opportunity to kind of interact with people, you know, in a different sense to keep the community involved. Connor, we also wanted to talk some basketball with you. You've very quickly become a fan favorite here in Madison and you've been able to break into the starting lineup. What were your expectations for yourself coming into this season? Well, for me, I mean, honestly, I didn't really know exactly what to expect. Uh, I mean, you know, a lot of guys, you know, certain guys coming back, transfer portal, um, you know, really not too many, you know, underclassmen. And I was really just looking to kind of, you know, get better and get used to the college, you know, way of play and, you know, just the physicality. And, um, you know, I just kind of put my head down and just kind of worked as hard as I could, you know, to kind of get, you know, to the place where I just had a little bit of opportunity. And then, you know, once I kind of got that a little bit, you know, just kind of took it and ran with it. What's this first year been like for you? I mean, it's kind of been up and down as a team. You guys start out so well, and now it's kind of been one win, one loss, one win, one loss, that type of thing. What's this What's this year been like for you? Uh, it's It's been, you know, mentally challenging, you know, to kind of, you know, start off so hot uh, and then go on a little cold streak and, you know, now be just going back and forth. But, you know, it's just been, you know, a great opportunity for me to learn, um, you know, and just, you know, kind of just enjoy the experience a little bit you know, just kind of being, you know, a college athlete. And, I mean, it's just a great, great way to kind of see how we're such a great team, you know, off the court that keeps us, you know, all locked in. I know I feel like most teams, you know, with the year that we've had, you know, would, you know, kind of fall apart. Um, and so it's kind of a cool thing to see, you know, how we've kind of stayed together and, you know, kind of gone through this all as one. Very few freshmen come into Wisconsin and have the type of impact that you do. It only happens every few years or so. And obviously one of the things that stood out is your three-point shooting ability. I'm just wondering, where did you learn to shoot the way that you do? How did that develop? Honestly, it was pretty much self-taught. Um, kind of when I first started out, I really wasn't a great shooter at all, actually. You know, I was pretty bad, actually, at shooting. And it was just kind of really the the want to be better at it, to be in the gym. It really took, you know, through high school and even middle school a little bit, um, I would always get on the shooting gun and shoot a thousand shots a day. And that's kind of really what, you know, it gotten me here. Honestly, obviously, you know, my three point shooting was what was, you know, my most recruited thing. And so it was really, really just getting in the gym and just working at it. I mean, there was a couple, you know, my AAU coach, Casey Adams has been a big part in just helping me tweak a little things here and there, but, you know, really most, most of everything that I've done with my jump shot has been self-taught and just reps in the gym. I think everyone, sees the shot going in the basket, but I feel like it's so overlooked what you do off the ball to be able to get in positions, to be able to get those shots off, the way that you were able to cut, the way you're able to use screens, the way that just the entirety of being able to get open and get a shot off. Where did that develop? How did that develop? Was that something that you've always been pretty easy for you to uh, come by, just understanding the game and where you need to be, or how did that all come about? 
Uh, I feel like I've always had a pretty good, you know, basketball IQ. I feel like that's part of what's kind of got me, you know, through basketball. Um, and, you know, I'm not the most athletic or the fastest. I mean, I'll say that, you know, right away, especially at the college level now. Uh, and so I, there's ways that I define to, you know, be able to make an impact. Uh, even through high school, you know, getting, you know, double teams and, you know, face guarding, I define different ways to, to get open. So that, that kind of started there, trying to find different ways to get open and, and you know, just keep moving and keeping the force place or space and all that. But, you know, my coaches, you know, throughout high school and have really done a good job, you know, of getting that in my brain. And, you know, I feel like that's just Indiana basketball too. You know, I feel like that just kind of come naturally, but, um, you know, really it's just, you know, just knowing that, you know, I'm not the most athletic and, you know, I just got to keep doing things that most people wouldn't to kind of get that going. Your recruitment was interesting because it didn't really take off until you switched to AAU teams. Can you share that story and what happened that allowed you to gain more attention from college coaches and and also what attracted you to Wisconsin in the first place? Yeah, sorry. I mean, my whole life I played for Team Focus, which is a pretty small AAU program based out in Fort Wayne where I'm from. And, you know, that team was, you know, all my, my brothers, you know, you know, my coach on that team's like my second dad. So, you know, we were really close, but when the opportunity came to, you know, switch to, you know, the Adidas circuit, play with Indiana Elite for my last summer, uh, we all kind of sat down. I mean, even as a team and as a coach and made the decision that it was best for me to go. And when it did, it, you know, it just kind of blew up. Um, just the opportunity and the exposure that, that the Adidas circuit was able to give me was incredible. Um, you know, I had smaller, you know, division one offers before that, but kind of midway through that summer, it's kind of when it really started to blow up a little bit. And, you know, it was just that opportunity that to play on that stage, um, you know, to just be out there and, you know, just expose myself and just play basketball. And, you know, it kind of fell through. And then when Wisconsin, you know, reached out, I mean, I'd already, you know, known they were being in the Midwest, you know, I watched Big Ten basketball, you know, I, that's what we do. We watch it, you know, every day. And so, Obviously, the history of Wisconsin is so, so rich. And, you know, that was something that really drew me right away once I saw the name of the phone, you know, that reached out to me. And, you know, it was just really just the family culture, you know, that was here that, you know, I really loved. And like I talked about how I was so close, you know, with my past teams, that's that's really one thing that really stood out to me was on my official visit, you know, the guys and the coaches treated me like I was already here uh, and I ain't even committed yet. So, it was really just, you know, the team and, and family atmosphere that they gave me, you know, as long as, you know, with the play style and, you know, just how they run things here. You talk about Wisconsin culture and the rich history of success. Uh, that's NCAA tournament, you know, every year, but one since uh, before you were born. So when you look at what has happened this season, do you understand where you guys are at in the pecking, in the pecking order right now? Just uh, obviously it's not a science. Bracketology is not a science, but do you kind of understand where you guys are and what you have to do here these last few weeks to be able to get into the tournament? Yeah, we know we got to win, you know, these last couple of games here. Um, and, you know, it's something where we try to not put too much pressure on ourselves because, you know, that, that could mess with a lot of people's heads. But, I mean, we know we got to get it done to, to make that statement. You tied Brad Davison's single-season freshman record for made three-pointers last night against Iowa. Don't, I doubt you've been keeping a tally, but that speaks to your three-point shooting ability. Have you had much time to think about what you've been able to accomplish in general this season, coming in as a true freshman and making the impact that you had? Well, first with that, the record, I had no idea that that was even a thing until after the game, one of our media guys came up and was like, you know, you tied the record. And I was like, what record? And he ended up telling me what it was. Um, but 
you know, honestly, you know, with how things are going, I haven't really had a lot of time to just kind of sit back and relax and think about, you know, how the season's gone for me personally. Uh, you know, I've got one goal in mind and, you know, that's the tournament and to do well, you know, finishing out here. So I feel like once season's done, I'll be able to sit back and, you know, look at a couple of things that I've done. But, you know, I feel like that's not really my focus right now. Coming off that game against Rutgers, uh, did you feel like you wanted to get like a few shots off early uh, against Iowa? Uh, excuse me. Yeah, against Iowa last night just to maybe get back in the field and see one fall for you? Yeah, I wasn't really, you know, too worried about it. Uh, I feel like my confidence will will always be there. Um, I mean, I, I know the work I've put in to get to this level, you know, and, and the amount that I've done to get here. But, um, you know, I, I really didn't want that mindset to try to force anything. You know, if, if I'm not playing naturally, then, then it's not going to fall. You know, the right things aren't going to come and, and fall into place. So, uh, you know, it just was just trying to take the open shots and, you know, just trust myself and believe in myself like I always have. I have two quick questions for you. One, you said before you would take a thousand shots a day on the gun, three pointers. How long did that take to get through a routine? Uh, well, it would depend on how much I would lock in or if I'd get on my phone in between some shots. You know, once I go over there and change the music and I see a notification, then I get swiping a little bit. <laughs> but um, if I really would lock in, it, it could take really not much longer, just around an hour. Uh, and then also just about this season, is there a certain point where you felt like I belong or I've, I've got the confidence and it's not going to be an issue making this adjustment to the college level? Um, I mean, kind of when we went to Atlantis, um, that was kind of when I started to play, you know, well, you know, better and started to break out a little bit. But I mean, it kind of showed me, you know, that that I can play with anyone. Uh, and I've always kind of believed that. But, you know, that that was when I really got the opportunity to kind of you know, prove myself a little bit, you know, when guys, some of the guys were getting in foul trouble uh, and just had to kind of step in and, and, you know, just kind of go out there and play and help the team. So, you know, it was really, I feel like that, that tournament was kind of a, an eye-opening week for me to really, you know, see what I can do. Connor, we certainly appreciate your time. Uh, Brian, before we go here, can you just give us a, a little idea where if people want to find some more information about uh, the, the Maddie Baddies, where they can do that? Sure. Um, the, uh, the website is Maddie, M-A-D-D-Y, baddies, B-A-D-D-Y-Z dot I-O. Um, everything will be up there. We're going to have a pretty big presence on social media. Um, and I think I got, I got one quick, um, question for Connor. Um, <laughs> you, you, you come from a, a very deep baseball family. Did you always have basketball in your blood? And, and, and when did you really start taking basketball seriously? Uh, I've kind of always had a little bit of basketball. Um, I was really a three sport, baseball, football, and basketball kind of growing up. Um, but, you know, my uncles and, you know, my mom's side was huge on basketball. Um, they've always loved it, always played. But I really didn't focus and really lock in, you know, to kind of – I really chose to play one sport, which is basketball, kind of around that high school time, um, that freshman year, just because, you know, I, I loved baseball, loved it, but – you know, I just wanted to be in the gym every day for basketball. And that's kind of what really made me realize that, you know, I wanted to take this as far as I can. Uh, that's great. I, I will just say that, you know, you staying with team focus all those years and bringing that culture to, to Wisconsin is what wins, you know, what wins this time of the year. As teams start to really get separated. And what you guys are doing on the floor together is really impressive. And at the end of the day, it's who, who wants it more wins this stuff as, as the season plays out. You know, one, one of the things that we really are 
are excited about is we're going to do a promo, a Mattress Max style here, where if any of the fans purchase any of the collectibles, the athletes retain that revenue, and we will refund their purchase price if the Badgers win the Big Ten tournament. So, um, you know, we, we sort of create this incentive for uh, the fans to get rewarded if, if the team goes on and win the conference tournament. So we're excited about that. Um, good luck the rest of the way, and uh, just stay focused, and don't we'll, we'll take care of this stuff on our end. Gotcha. Thank you. <laughs> All right, guys. Certainly appreciate your time. All right, there he was, Connor Asijan, Wisconsin guard. Certainly appreciate him coming on, as well as Brian Klatsky, the, the CEO of Open Locker. As you heard, you can find more information. Um, just search Maddie Baddies. Uh, all right, let's get into to some of these Twitter questions that we got after Wisconsin beat Iowa on uh, Wednesday night. Tim wants to know, what did Stephen Crowell do to the Big Ten refs to get called for all these extremely soft fouls? Nuclear Badger follows it up with saying, did Big Steve key a ref's car or something? I think he has some incriminating photos, which we <laughs> we can't detail on the show, and that must be the only reason. <laughs> I I just, as I said before the interview, I just don't, um, he's, it's not like he's an overly physical guy, right? Like he's, maybe you can disagree with me on that one. He's gotten more physical as a, as a player throughout his career. He's continuing to build strength, and he's certainly, certainly, more physical than he was last year or the year before, but it's not like he's just banging into guys left and right all the time that aren't, that isn't happening at the other end at the same time. Yeah. I'm right with, I'm right there with you. Uh, he's a much stronger player. And, and we've talked before about the way he's able to score at the rim to just out muscle guys is, is a development in his game that wasn't there in that same way a couple of years ago. But in terms of the foul calls, it is a little bit head scratching at times. Yeah. Witness the West it says what changed so drastically from non-conference to conference play. The wall injury was impactful, but lots of teams suffer injuries, even to key players. It's a really hard question to answer. Um, I think I've said before that when they were 14th in the country, now that we can look in hindsight is 2020, perhaps they were playing above their means a bit and they've kind of fallen back. But the big tens is also really tough and teams study you and know you. And the other thing is, I think their weaknesses and their flaws have been exposed in a much more significant way. They don't have significant depth on their bench. They go through these ridiculously long scoring droughts and you could maybe get away with that earlier in the season. And we didn't see it as much, I suppose, but you just can't do that and win games in the big 10. Yes, correct. Also, you're not going to win every close game you're in. And, and they, they are 10 and six, which is, uh, which is fine, know. which is yes. fine. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's better, but it's not, they lived on the uh, lived on the razor's edge last year, and went eighteen and one in those games, right? So you're not going to get you're most more often than not you're going to not going to get a repeat of that. That's just fact. Like you you would want to win more of those those games, but you're not going to have that type of record every single season. You're you're playing with fire. They've gotten burned several times more than they needed to. But I think the most frustrating thing probably for fans is the scoring droughts, especially when they have a big lead. We yeah. saw them we saw them blow the big lead against Ohio, almost blow the big lead against Ohio State because they couldn't hit a basket the final seven minutes of the game. We saw them blow a 17-point lead uh, against Nebraska, and they did that in about five minutes. It wasn't even <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't even late that they did that and then lose in overtime. And then against Michigan. 
the not scoring in the final 1045, finding a way to win that game. But still, the, the, the scoring droughts, which have been at times throughout Wisconsin's history, um, a thing, just feel more meaningful or impactful this year than in other years. And it's because they're losing so many close or that because they have lost a number of close games. Rutgers being it, the latest example of it. Right. Not scoring in the final three something against Rutgers and going from what they're, I think they're up 57, 52 to losing 58, 57. It's hard because in toss up games, I mean, you figure, okay, it's a 50, 50 shot. So they're, they're better than that at 10 and six, but it's difficult not to look at the ones that slipped away as opposed to the 10 wins that Wisconsin's gotten in those kinds of situations, because yep. all it takes is one or two to change the trajectory of the postseason for Wisconsin. You, I said before, I thought Wisconsin, it's funny, I thought Wisconsin would go two and one during this home stretch. I also got wrong the Nebraska games. I thought Wisconsin would win. But if you told me they were going to beat Michigan and Iowa and lose to Rutgers, um, that would not have been my first pick. That's one you got to have. The Northwestern game earlier this month at the Kohl Center, you wind up losing that game by two at home. You got to have that one. And obviously they went on the road and lost to Northwestern by three. And, and that's part of why Northwestern is where the Wildcats are sitting in second place in the Big Ten and Wisconsin is in 10th because the Badgers haven't been able to finish some of those games. But you win two of those games and you're in a totally different standing right now. But that's why the Badgers are where they are. Another one from uh, Witness West says, if the Badgers finish 9-11 and 11 in league play with losses down the stretch to Michigan and Purdue, can they make the tournament? Assuming they win at least one in the Big Ten tournament. I don't see so, it. Yeah, so what would that make them? That would make them 18 and something? Well, so if, they, if they lose two or three to close the regular season, then they're sitting there at 17 and 13. Right, so, but if they win one in the Big Ten tournament. Right, 18 and 13, and then if they were to lose 18-14. That's in my – and look, this is a weak bubble, people say. It's not particularly strong, so they're at least in the conversation. But I have a really difficult time seeing an 18 and 14 team that was sub-500 in the Big Ten. That And this is the other thing. If they go two and three or a one and two in the last three, they're probably going to be what? A 10 seed, an 11 seed in the Big Ten tournament? They might be playing on that first day. I don't see any situation where they go to the tournament with a record like that. They've got to do more than that. I agree. Again, I I can see them going two and one down the stretch here. I, I like I don't. Sunday feels like a loss, but I think that they can get Purdue. I think just because even though Purdue likely going to be playing, uh, I mean if they lose again, they lost to Northwestern. I think in the only game that the two play this year. The possibility that Northwestern wins out and Purdue loses uh, another game, I guess, is a possibility. But and then Northwestern would be the number one seed in the Big Ten tournament, which would just be crazy. But I think I, I don't see a win Sunday. I, I I think next week against Purdue is kind of a toss up, and then the game you absolutely absolutely can't lose is the one at Minnesota. But nine and eleven would be difficult, I think, and only getting one win in the tournament. But we'll see. We'll see at, at that point. When you when you get to nine and eleven and you're sitting there at what eighteen and thirteen or and if they end up at with eighteen and fourteen, you would be praying that all the top seeds end up winning their conference tournaments. So you don't have some kind of a bid stealer sitting somewhere because that certainly could be Wisconsin's. And I, it's been a while since Wisconsin's been in this position where you're you would ha you're having to root against certain teams in conference tournaments just so they um, don't potentially steal. Uh, one or two of the one or two of those final bids, but Mark says, uh, "Will we see the deeper bench rotation that we saw 
against Iowa over the next three games? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Like Marcus Silver and Isaac Lindsay are two guys that were able to, to score in the few minutes that they played. But they went long stretches without appearing in any games. And so I don't know whether I think that felt more like a, a product of uh, you, you needed a body out there and you were in a little bit of a bind. And to me, it's more, you know, your top five is and then you're going to rely on Carter Gilmore and Jordan Davis. And Kamari McGee will give you a handful of minutes behind Chucky. So that's eight. I just have a hard time seeing them stretching beyond that. Although I know we've talked about this before. I think Ilver is an intriguing prospect for the future. He's got no conscience. He comes in. It doesn't matter. Yes. He's firing and he scores. Um, but there are a lot of other areas that he's got to develop. I just have a hard time seeing guard suddenly extending the bench. Because um, now more than ever, you kind of have to rely on your top dudes to go and get the job done. Yeah, the the 13 minutes of Stephen Crowell play kind of feels like a big part of going deeper into the bench specifically, specifically with, with Ilver, but you're right. I've never, I mean, I've never seen anybody with more confidence just to come in and, and the, 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 you know, the shot that he did take, it was came at the end of the shot clock. He didn't really have a choice type of thing, but he's always looking to score, um, which I guess is intriguing for an offense, for a team that isn't always um, that is offensively challenged at times. All right. Uh, we'll finish with this one and I'll let you go first in answering it. This is my favorite question we've had all year. Yeah. And the toughest question that I can remember ever having been asked on this podcast, Joe says, rank these Fran McCaffrey, PJ Fleck, Hunter Dickinson, and whoever decided not to count Ron Dane's bull rushing stats. Just an absolutely brutal question. One that's very, very difficult for me to answer, but I'm going to let you go first because I know you're very passionate about all four of those things as well. Yeah. I or, don't have, or, a, or, or not. I don't have a significant bone to pick with uh, most of those. Um, it's, I feel like I know where you're going to go, but, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to go with the, the, the record keepers uh, of, of Ron yeah. Dane's rushing yards, just because that's the one that keeps me out of trouble the most. <laughs> <laughs> and also it is ridiculous because we're well we're just going to count bowl stats now and um make a uh arbit i wrote about this a couple of years ago and honestly i already forgot what i wrote uh because it doesn't matter the yardage should count give the guy his record actually I, I talked to ron about that specifically and i believe his remark was i have the most rushing yards in uh like fbs history period so uh <laughs> He may it may not show up in the record books, but in his mind, he knows he knows where he stands. Everyone knows. Even Donnell Pumphrey knows uh, where things stand. I don't you know, that is what it is. All right. So I'm going to do this in reverse order from least douchey to top douchey. Um, <laughs> at, at number four for me is Fred McCaffrey, which is a little bit of a surprise, I'm sure, for some. But Fran McCaffrey's at number four because he is who he is. He's just that type of guy. He he is he he is the type of guy that gets thrown out of the game for being upset about a 10-second call in a game they're losing by double digits. That's the that's just who he is. He doesn't understand uh, it feels like social norms. Like you just that's just something you don't do. But he did it. And I mean, it was hilarious to hear to to see that happen. And then two days later, Greg Garby asked about getting one technical in his 300 
80 plus games or 350 plus games that he's coached at Wisconsin and being like, yeah, I, I mean, I've tried to get a few more, but uh, they officials come over to me and said that they messed up the call. And so it's just insane for me to think that Fran McCaffrey has more tacticals in the last week than Greg Gard does in his entire coaching career. And how many times Fran McCaffrey's got thrown out of a game or suspended? Like he's, but he is who he is. He owns, he owns who he is. He's not, I don't think he's, he's not putting on a, on a show at all. Number three on my list is Hunter Dickinson. He's a little bit high. He's higher than Fran just because of recency bias. Uh, if this had happened after that 2014 meltdown by, by Fran at the Cole Center, he might be number one. But what we saw from Hunter Dickinson last last week or two weeks ago, pathetic. Pathetic and annoying and over the top and douchey. And uh, he's going to be, I'm sure, that same way on Saturday or on Sunday when they go and play there. So this is kind of like a future Hunter Dickinson number three on my list. You'd be surprised how tough this next one is. Um, I'm obsessed, obsessed with Ron Dane's bull stats not being counted. I don't know if you know that or not about me, Jesse. I'm a little, I'm a little obsessed about it. That said, now nah, screw it. PJ Fleck number two. Uh, PJ Fleck <laughs> is PJ Fleck is number two on my list because he is as fake as they come. He is as like just over the top fake, and just the energy that he brings. We we've talked we've talked about Wisconsin and the increased energy around the program and and like the jump around stuff that they were doing for players coming in. That's a staff. That's a program that's doing that. Luke Fickle has energized this program, right? He's energized it. He's brought a lot of excitement around it, and he's done it his own way, but he hasn't done it in a fake way. He hasn't come up with a whole bunch of different acronyms to throw at you. He's not yelling. He's not telling you to row the boat and, and, and saying, how you feeling? Elite. He's not telling you to do that kind of BS stuff. PJ Fleck is an absolute fraud when it comes to uh, or the way that he does things uh, to motivate his kids. And it's usually all about PJ, and it's very, very annoying. And he's had success against Wisconsin. That doesn't bother me whatsoever. It's about it's just who he is as a person. I don't think that's who he actually is. And I hate I hate when people do that. I hate when they're somebody different than they, than they actually are. There's just no way anybody is like that in real life, right? I mean, there's just nobody that can possibly be that type of guy in real life. I just, I just don't, I don't believe it. I don't believe it at all. Uh, so number one, obviously is the NCAA. They are the ones that have decided not to count Ron Dane's bowl stats. I know that you wrote about it uh, a couple of years ago, as you said, for anybody that's wondering why they don't want to do that. It's because they didn't, fe- they don't feel it's fair to the person in 1951 who won the rushing title to go back and add in bowl stats from the 1951 bowl games. And all of a sudden that person would not be the leading rusher that year. We have leading rushers from 1951. That's who they are. It doesn't matter what happened in a game after that because bowl stats weren't counted then. That's essentially their argument. Also, they feel like they wouldn't be able to go back and find stats for everything because it's not just rushing stats. It's uh, punt return stats and a sack, or not a sack, but uh, a tackle and that type of stuff. They'd have to add in all the stats. And if you know anything about the NCAA, doing that extra mile, probably not in their wheelhouse. So those are the reasons why. But it's just insane. It's it's totally insane to just say 2002 on, we're going to count bowl stats. Anything before that doesn't matter, even though it takes away records from guys that rightly own them. I love that Ron Dane owns it and says, yeah, I have the most yards, but it's a bunch of BS, in my opinion, that even has to do that. And I think anybody that's an actual 
football fan and not some casual will understand that Ron Dane is the all-time leading rusher in, in football uh, in FBS history. And I, uh, if you don't think that, uh, it says everything I need to know about you. You laid it out pretty well. I, I found my story as you were uh, going through your uh, soapbox speech, which was very impassioned. I, I give you much credit. I, I'm sure you've thought about it, uh, ranking all four. And that must have been tough to not put Fleck number one. But, yes. Um, I mean, I, I, okay, so I was doing a story on Dane, and it was about, it was 20 years since his uh, 99 crazy Heisman season where he set the record. And I hadn't even, I was talking to Barry Alvarez, and I hadn't even put the recording device on his desk. And he started going off about about the yardage record. I hadn't even asked him about it. And I thought it was funny because it's like, you know, if you're going to talk about everything that Ron has done, you better talk about the record he owns that doesn't count. And he said, and Barry said he was the MVP of three of the four bowl games he played. And he said, that's another 700 yards in bowl games. That's 728, but yes. people still are livid. Brian White was the, the uh, running backs coach and coach Dane. When I talked to him, he just said, that's bullshit. <laughs> and then, he, <laughs> then, he, then he went on his rant about why it was ridiculous. But you laid out why they don't count it. Uh, they made 2002 the cutoff because they didn't want to retroactively go back and reexamine stats. And the rationale was also that they're in charge of stats for the FCS, Division Two, and Division Three, And so it would be a logistical nightmare and that somebody was always going to be upset. So the, the Dave Warlock, who was with the, uh, the NCAA, who's the director of media coordination and stats when I did that story said that let's say you made 1980 the cutoff then someone's going to say well what about Tony Dorsett or what about this guy and so from that standpoint I understand it and also Ron Dane is the all-time yardage holder so I know this is the swing and this is a basketball pod but since the question was asked uh you will get no disagreement from me yeah no I um, I disagree with saying that uh someone's always gonna be bad if you just include all of stats, no one's going to be bad. It's just what it is. It's just like that. Those are the stats. It's you can tell a lot of stories of stats and, and, and we, we do that in this business, but the raw numbers show what happened in college football. And Ron Dane has more yards rushing in his career than anybody, except according to the NCAA. It's just uh, ridiculous. And so it's not any one person that made that decision. I think it was a collective decision, but just to say, oh yeah, from 2002 on, this is what we're going to do. It's stupid. It's stupid and ridiculous. It needs to change. It's never going to change, but it needs to. Um, so either way, that'd be my ranking. NCAA, PJ Fleck, Hunter Dickinson, Fran McCaffrey. I don't like any of them. Uh, I don't like any of the, the yeah, I don't like any of them, but um, for, for me, because of my obsession with the, the record that has to go number one, even though I also, I guess I kind of have an obsession with PJ Fleck. So either way, Jesse, we will be back next week. We'll see if uh, Wisconsin can take care of uh, business on the road, maybe, and, uh, and beat, beat Michigan on Sunday and then come home and, and face Purdue uh, next week and big week for them. Go one in one of those games and then go and beat Minnesota. You might be in a good spot. We'll see. Thank you much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there is Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Swing.